Hi, everyone. Welcome to LED On, the JavaScript on Hardware podcast. This episode's pretty exciting because we have a special guest, Francis Gulotta. Francis is a contributor to Johnny Five, the Tesla project, and has been maintaining Node Serial Port for how long now? Uh, a million years. A million years. If you have ever controlled hardware from your laptop through Node, you've had to use Node Serial Port. It's the software that allows us to connect two devices over USB. It's critical. It's used in Johnny Five. It's used in just about everything that talks to devices over USB. It's downloaded over a million times a year. There's a new install every 25 seconds. So, Francis, can you tell us a little bit about Node Serial Port and how you got involved? Yeah, I started with Serial Port uh, with Johnny Five. Johnny Five was early days, and Rick gave his presentation at my office and sort of just did a workshop where we all got to make something with uh, Arduinos, and we had a Raspberry Pi, and I ended up making a remote doorbell, and it was hard. <laughs> and it wasn't Johnny Five's fault, but there were bugs, and there was memory leaks, and I kept crashing all the time, and I had no idea why. I thought I was doing something wrong, and I probably was. But I actually found out sort of years later that serial port was, it was in its infancy. You know, it was, uh, it was doing something that nothing else in Node had done, but it, it uh, had plenty of bugs and edge cases. And so I found myself uh, years later needing it for work. And I was able to devote a pretty significant amount of time to rewriting it, to fixing the bugs in the edge cases, to modernizing its API and uh, turning it into what it is today. Cool. Is the work project something you could talk about? Well, I worked, I, I got to work with Rick Waldron, um, and we spent about a year trying to um, make a consulting company around IoT, around using higher-level languages to control hardware. We believe very strongly in it, still do, um, because, well, C is a language where it's not safe to copy a string, um, there are very good C developers out there who think this is hogwash, and they're right. However, if you're not a very good C developer, chances are you are also making IoT devices, and it's not safe to copy a string. And so we end up with so many security issues and so many bugs and this, uh, this world of devices that are just tough. You know, <laughs> like I go into my problems with the IoT landscape, but, but they're just hard on everybody, you know? And so um, we were trying to change that. And, uh, you know, we did a bunch of good projects with some companies you've definitely heard of. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it was maybe a little too early, you know. And uh, so, you know, I moved on. Okay. Okay. Well, cool. It's neat that you had an opportunity to work on, uh, work on this stuff for, uh, for, for a real job. Um, yeah, it's excellent. <laughs> so um, let's talk about Node Serial Port and how it works. It's not just the JavaScript program that you run on your computer. There's a little more to it than that. It's, it's crossing the boundary between JavaScript and the operating system and using commands that are available at an operating system level to control uh, to communicate over the serial port. That's about right. So it's got a, a C++ layer. Um, Node.js gives you access to all their JavaScript APIs, which you can see in the docs. Um, but there's a, a layer underneath, which is their C++ APIs. And so if you make a binary module, which is um, part C++, um, you can use them. And so I was able to access the V8 and libuv, which is an underlying library of Node.js. So I would access their APIs and use the operating systems APIs for dealing with serial ports to get data into uh, JavaScript buffers. In Node.js, there's called a buffer. Um, if you've ever used an array buffer in the JavaScript, it's the same thing. In fact, uh, Node.js came first, and so none of it was spec, but the spec was heavily informed from Node.js's ability to read binary data and, have, and work with it, which is kind of cool. Um, so this lets me bridge the gap between the operating systems control the hardware and your program in JavaScript and communicate, uh, send data back and forth, and, and say, hey, uh, you know, let me know when, when you're when you can send data, let me know when there's something to read. Let me know, you know, send this control signal and things like that. So libuv, I mean, it handles a lot of things. File IO, I guess, would be the you know a, a basic example, but it doesn't handle serial port. Has nothing. Has has no concept of a serial port. So in Unix, 
everything is a file. And so this is like a Unix-like system. So this is Max, this is Linux, this is your Raspberry Pi. Um, in Windows, it's not. In Windows, there's many different things. They have a very similar concept where, you know, you can open a thing and write to it and read from it. And um, it is just different enough in Windows that the abstractions we use for writing to files just uh, doesn't work with serial ports in Windows. Um, and so there's, uh, there's also control signals and port setup and speeds and things. And, and that has nothing to do with files either. And nothing like that exists in LibUV either. Many different proposals have happened over the years. Nothing's really landed. Um, it requires somebody who's better at C++ than I am to spend, quite, to spend a bit of time on it. Um, but uh, there's nothing native for this. So we, we ended up writing our own. So when you say we ended up writing our own, I guess it started with Chris Williams, right? That's right. So Chris Williams was the original maintainer. He, he, he started um, the concept of Nodebots, of controlling here with the manifesto, which you can still find linked in the serial port uh, uh, readme. And the idea was, oh, sort of our pitch for the, for the consulting I was trying to do is that you will, you know, hardware maps to the invented nature of JavaScript really well. You'll make less mistakes if you use a higher level language to control the physical world. And it's amazing. It's really awesome when you get and get something to light up and you get something to move, when you can record data, you know, from the actual physical environment and, you know, sort of get it outside your screen. And so he, uh, you know, he, he got the first prototype going. Um, uh, Rick Waldron found it and started Johnny Five to sort of be a common hardware abstraction layer over all sorts of hardware. And um, that's, that's where it all began. Uh, we have had, like, we've had dozens, yeah, maybe hundreds of contributors over the years, um, either adding features or fixing bugs or, you know, or... or or, or whatnot. And so um, when I joined in earnest in 2016-ish, so what is that? It's like three, three, almost four years ago. Um, it was a different, uh, you know, it, it, was, it had been, it, nobody had really worked on it for a while. So, you know, I had this, this excellent uh, bedrock, you know, to build upon, but there were, um, uh, but there were things to fix. Yeah. So I did some, some GitHub archaeology and went looking oh, yes. at uh, uh, old and original versions of, of serial port um, uh, all the way back to when it was just a readme that said, don't use this. Um, <laughs> so it's interesting to see how, how much it has evolved over the years. It's changed quite a bit um, from the, the, you know, the, the basic serial port structure to, to what it is now. Um, so I guess Chris first built it back in 2009, 2010, and then uh, he was maintaining it up until till you took over in 2016, right? Or I guess there was a few. Ma- I mean, there was other people working on it, but he was uh, mm-hmm. he was the the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not the maintainer, the Bene- benevolent dictator for life. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't. I'm not a big fan <laughs> of that. I mean, I, I guess if you if you are objective about um, some re- some some projects, then yeah, that really is what's going on. Um, but I think it's out of deference. People want to respect, you know, the maintainer. Um, so sure. I, 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 I kind of balk at that. If someone's spending their I'm time... Trying, I'm trying... Uh, Chris is very good at building community. He's very good at uh, accepting other people's contributions. Yeah. Like, if someone else has spent their time on it, he's, he's game. Yeah. Um, yeah he's, he hasn't been involved, you know, probably for three or four years, yeah. um, if not longer. But... Um, the, uh, I have done so much work on it and I have so much more context that I'm trying very hard to not be the person who owns it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, fostering the community, getting other contributors, you know, making sure their patches get landed and they, they feel good about it. You know, because I mean, really it's awesome if you come and want to like improve this piece of infrastructure, um, it's been very important to me. So I, I uh, I'm with you at not at not pegging that title. Okay. <laughs> uh, not 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 to Chris or you know not in general. <laughs> so it, it seems to me just I, I tried looking at Serial Port before you uh, had taken it on, and it was pretty clear to me that I didn't have the background that I would need to work on it. I guess you had the opportunity to when, when you and Rick were working together on hardware. That's is that where you gained most of your knowledge about how how Serial Port works and how you could work on it, or did uh, well. I started small, like like anyone might, you know, was uh, closing 
closing support issues, figuring out the bugs were. Um, and then, you know, we have, how many, how many years has, has, has a POSIX standard been around, right? So POSIX being the standard behind Unix and Linux, it's, it's, you know, at least 40 in, in some recognizable form, 40 years. So there's so much documentation about what they do that, um, I would just start reading it. And so I, I really don't know why a lot of things are the way they are, but I do know that this here line in this document I found that's, you know, already 20 years old says, if I do this, this will work. So I tried it out. <laughs> um, and I was able to fix a lot of bugs with that kind of uh, mentality, just sort of going through, reading, finding the right doc, you know, to explain, you know, with enough context, you know, what might be going on. And so I was able to rewrite our um, reading of serial ports in Linux and Unix um, to be able to, so originally it used to pull 100% CPU, just constantly reading, looking for more data. Nope, no data, let me try again. Um, and so we ended up writing a puller that would get file system events. Oh, there's data, you should start reading now. Um, we actually were able to completely get rid of all of our own reading code and just use the file uh, FS read uh, from Node.js, which would normally read a file. Uh, we were able to use that to read and write to the serial port uh, because they're battle-tested. They're, they're sure they're as fast as they could possibly be. But there was no way to read from something that um, was going to take time, you know, to, to give us this kind of interface of, you know, as data slowly pours in that we get, these, we get the data as it arrives. And so just kept doing the research and figured out what the events were, figured out what libuv could do for us, Got a lot of help from people on Twitter and from the Node community on how to make C++ work. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I took some classes, but, you know, some online classes and stuff, but I never, you know, it's, it's still very difficult for me to, to make sure I'm doing it right. There's so much I don't know and I worry about. I don't know when it's safe to worry about and or not, you know. This is, like, that's sort of the crux of it. Like, like I don't have the context. Um but we did it, and we got it, and so we were able to, to sort of get these new things in, even though, like, I definitely, you know, it was like, it was like one bite at a time, right? How do, you, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? That, that was sort of the approach of this project. Okay. Was anything particularly difficult? I mean, at the, when you were first getting involved, were there some special challenges that you had to overcome? Windows, still Windows. I don't have a Windows computer, and I have had little ones. I had like a little Intel Compute stick at one point, but testing on all the platforms and making sure it works the same and that the concepts are the same. When really the operating systems do have slight differences to them, you know, like like flow control, which you know we never actually talked about what a serial port is, um, but this is true. like they don't, uh, you know, it's like like they handle it differently. And, you know, figuring out what people really want from it and then testing it on all the systems, is, but that's been the hardest part. Yeah. You bring up a really good point. We didn't talk a lot about what a serial port is. And one of the things that, that I've learned is that serial is very broad, right? There's a lot of things that fall under the umbrella of serial, whether it be your USB port or uh, even things that are just emulating serial, like the, the XB radio stuff, you know, and it, it looks like serial, but maybe something a little different. Can you can you tell us what serial encompasses? So there's this uh, there's a Wikipedia page on a UART U A R T that is the Universal Asynchronous Receiver Transmitter, and that defines like very little. It basically says I can send you bytes, entire bytes, not 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 partial bytes, and you can send me bytes, and that's it. Yeah, th there's 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 definitely more to it, but like in practicality, that is all you're really guaranteed. Now they added more wires. Um, UART came later. Serial came before the concept of a UART, but the uh, but there was many different ways of doing it. The old nine pin serials you had on computers, they uh, they, they they I think there were like seven volts or no twelve volts. There were twelve volts plus an, and and like you, you would go from zero to twelve volts. Most of the hardware you're going to use today will have 5 volts or 3.3 volts. And this is just like figuring out what's a 1, what's a 0, you know. And so the concept of I send you bytes and you send me bytes is pretty straightforward. But like they added on more wires. 
And so we had uh, the request to send wire and the clear to send wire. And this was uh, RTS uh, CTS, uh, as you'll see it. This is a hardware flow control. So basically, when uh, I have my clear to send pin that you can read from, and when I like when I flag that pin, I, I'm telling you to stop. Like I'm full. I need to process this data. Stop sending me stuff. And and likewise, a lot of devices get by of just being fast enough to handle whatever baud rate you know they're set to. Um, but when you have really high speeds, like say these new CNC machines or plotters or things like that, you actually need to, like, sometimes they just need a moment, you know, they need to stop, they need to pause the communication, but none of that was standard. Um, so that's not actually part of the, the UART spec, you know, but it was something you found in the old Nipin serials. And so we sometimes get that on the hardware and devices we use today. And sometimes we don't, but this concept of sending data never went away. USB, universal serial bus, also brought in um, a way of just sending and receiving bytes in a standard way over the USB packets. So USB, instead of just binary data going, they had this, this packeting format. So you could say, hey, I have a packet, and it's got a structure, and it's got a packet types and things like that. But they, you know, they, but at the end of the day, you, you know, just this unfettered like data in, data out was a common, is a common thing you get over USB still, you know. You'll find in a lot of um, devices people make, they just use normal serial because it's a lot easier to prototype. It's a lot easier to, easier to have a chip uh, that manages it rather than a chip that manages USB. Um, in consumer devices, it's USB because you have a much larger organization, a lot more money behind it. Um, and I've seen that it's getting easier to do USB. Um, cheaper, you know, it's shipping on more devices and things, but it's still, you know, um, you would think, I mean, USB has been around for how many years? You'd think we would have all gotten to there by now, but uh, there's just so many circumstances, especially between devices you might be using, that you don't need all that. You don't need the overhead, you know, and my favorite thing that USB does is describe what the device is. And of serial, just a serial port, you don't have any of that, <laughs> you know, but, but you don't need that in all cases. Okay. Let's talk about some of the changes that you've brought in to serial port. Cause uh, there were some big structure changes to the repo and, and uh, just, I want to hear your experiences with that. Um, I, I know you added uh, Stalebot. Uh, yeah. I, I think I asked you about it, maybe at JS Conf, and you said it's, it's been awesome and awful or wonderful and terrible or something, something to that effect. <laughs> it is, it is, uh, somebody called it mean. Um, and st what Stalebot is, is it will close an issue after a certain amount of time of inactivity. Now, I, my own PRs have been closed by Stalebot because I'll suggest them and then I'll get busy at work and I won't be able to come back to it. But the real reason we brought it in was someone will open an issue. They'll ask some questions. They'll get the answers they need or they won't. You know, um, you know, maybe nobody got back to them in time or nobody knew how to approach their question, um, which is a tough, you know, tough thing when you're asking for help on an open source project. Um, and then after a certain amount of time, Stalebot comes in, gives you a little warning, and then eventually closes your issue. And with this, what, what was happening is we'd have stuff that was two years old. Nobody wanted the answer anymore, and yet it was still there causing this cognitive load to anyone who wanted to work. It was also still there sort of sending a signal to everyone like, hey, maybe you shouldn't use this project. When, you know, I, and I triaged when I first started the project up again, um, you know, 2016, I triaged 500 issues manually. Like I went and read every single one, tried to understand it. I uh, manually said, hey, is this still an issue? I'm going to close it. Um, you know, I, I went, if I could, I would give the answer, you know. But um, I think I started with a year cutoff, and then I went to six months. And this just let me uh, concentrate on what was important. Things that looked like bugs, I kept open. You know, I triaged those. Um, our whole next, our whole first couple of releases were addressing bugs from, from issues that, you know, some of them were two years old, you know. But we, like, that change in our community management means that, like, eh, I don't know, the issues don't become a, a user support graveyard, you know, and become a place where you can actually still learn and find things out. It's, I mean, it's still searchable. People never search, but, but it's still searchable so you can see if anyone else has had the issue you've had. But it's much more manageable okay. <laughs> with StalePot. Um, the, the, the other changes to the project 
uh, we're around splitting up what serial port is. Um, I mean, so it, when I when I when I started up, it was an event emitter, uh, pretending to be a stream. And so, if you know what Node.js streams are, um, I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> but but uh, they are a way of like sending data over time, right? They're kind of complex. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot of edge cases when it comes to error handling and this and that. But they work. And when we had nothing, they were everything. Serial part actually became it came before streams. And so that's why it was never really a stream. Um, and so one of the big changes, it was a breaking change, was becoming a stream. And streams give this important property, and that's the flow control, the RTS and CTS that I was talking about before. You can stop reading on, on the serial port when you can't handle the data. And so before that, you would either buffer it all up in memory and run out of memory, or you know you would drop data on the ground. But this this way, you can automatically, with very little logic in your own application, you know tell it to pause, tell it to wait. You know, I'm not ready for more data yet. And that was a major change. That was that really that was uh, the sort of the beginning of what it is today. Okay. One of the things that I, I, I've, I've just seen come up as an issue, not so much recently, but in the past, was there were so many different versions of Node Serial Port that needed to be, that needed binary packages. Because you had to have a different package for every operating system Node version combination. So if you were supporting yes. three versions of Node, that's nine binary packages you have to build every time you have a patch. Um, what's the process like when it comes time to build new packages or build new binaries? <laughs> At one point, we were up to, I think, around 60 different builds per release. <laughs> um, so you might have heard of Node LTS, which is long-term support. That concept didn't always exist. And so people were still using really old versions of Node especially for node bots the shoot what was it called did something black um, oh beaglebone beaglebone black beaglebone black yeah um the beaglebone black was stuck on node 012 for a very long time uh or maybe maybe it would never got out of 012 i know there's newer beaglebones now um, and a lot of people use them, and so we kept this old Node support. But Node went through some massive changes after 012. 010, 012, and then it went to 4. And 4 was like the IOJS rewrite, and everything changed, and so we, we kept it working. But once LTS became a concept, we said, listen, everybody's just got to upgrade. There's no way we can support all these different versions. And so now it's generally about three or four versions we need to support. We only support the stable versions technically. It will work on others, but but um, so right now that is eight, ten, and twelve, and you know node eight, node ten, and node twelve. But like yeah, it was it was very very many builds, and so we we did it. So when you install a binary package of Node.js, you get the JavaScript and you can run that, and that's not a problem. But you get the C plus plus, and unless your computer is set up to build a C plus plus project, which you know is doable, and there's instructions you can't use the package. And so installation is difficult. Now, you don't have to have your computer set up that to run anything else written in C. And so that's because you download the compiled version. The source code gets turned into a program, and you can execute it. And so we pre-compile these uh, for every version we release, and for every operating system we support, and for every node version we support. So right now, I think we're up to like 15 or something. Oh, and Electron, which adds like three more per platform, you know, so we would compile them on Travis CI, on AppFair, which is a Windows CI, and Travis CI also has Mac support, uh, which is very, which is awesome. And so, and then we would upload them to GitHub, <laughs> the GitHub releases as an attached file, and then when you installed Node Serial Port, it would go and download them. And we, there was a couple projects that have done this over the years, we're using Prebuild right now, which is an excellent project, but it is like... It is a massively complex build step, and it's hard to do things like rebuild binaries, like if one failed, and things like that. And so I'm not super happy with it. Um, there is a future. There is an end in sight where we can do significantly less, but um, this made the installation experience much easier um, for everybody but Electron. <laughs> um, and uh, was the only is the only way binary packages really work well today. Yeah. 
do you want to talk about 32-bit Linux node? Well, it's going away. <laughs> um, yeah, they, they, so it still can be compiled, but the build infrastructure for it was was hard for the Node project to maintain, and so they're not going to do it anymore. The usage was really low. It was lower than the ARM processor, which I also think they don't support officially, but also works. Uh, so they decided to... Uh, to drop it from the official builds. They're still doing unofficial builds where you have to just download the, a different tarball and, and I think you build it yourself. Uh, but it, it's, uh, yeah, I, I mean, we're sort of sort of fortunate. Intel dropped the Edison line um, and the Galileo, which was just, you know, uh, barely saw the light of day. No, not the Galileo. What was their latest one? Michelangelo? I don't know. I just oh, remember shoot. Galileo and Edison. Well, they had one more that came out as like a Raspberry Pi competitor, but it was like four times as much money, and then they shut down the whole program. Oh. Um, <laughs> it was like, I, I never saw one in person, uh, but they, those, these are the most popular, like the Edison, I think was the most popular 32-bit node, uh, you know, installation, yeah. and it was excellent. It was a wonderful piece of hardware. So I know there are computers out there that still use it. Um, there's um, a thread on the build release something you know github somewhere you know for node where people talk about it but they're not doing it anymore and so i'm not shipping it anymore because uh well frankly i can't download a copy of node to run i have to do all these hoops to get it going and that's too much overhead yeah i wanted to ask you about the transition from a single repository single package to multiple packages in a Lerna monorepo how has that experience right. been um, are you going to keep doing it? I mean, what? How, how do you feel about it? It's been good. Um, I don't know if I'm going to keep doing it. So serial port, the package, if you type npm install serial port, you get a serial port package, which is, is like two lines in it, which pulls in the serial port stream package and the serial port bindings package. Um, and, oh, it also pulls in all the parsers that we ship by default. And so parsers take the binary data and turn it into usable stuff, you know. And that split didn't exist but, um, until, like, 7, version 7, maybe. And what that means is I was able to, like, internally I had pulled apart how it worked. And so we had this lower-level bindings API, which was much more simple than streams. And then we had the streams API that used it. But then you could have AP bindings APIs for different platforms, which, you know, we have our Linux, our Windows, and our Mac. But you could also have them in different technologies. Um, I have a prototype one in Rust. I have um, one that was the old Chrome Web Serial. And now that we have the Web Serial spec and beta, uh, or alpha, I guess pre-alpha, uh, you know, we can use that there. And so the idea is to have this very simple to implement, low-level interface. And then the streams, which are incredibly complex, can sit on top of it. Async iterators came out, which is, in my opinion, a much better way of doing data over time. That, you know, I have a, I have a prototype. I haven't released it yet because there's always, always so much work to do. But async iterator interfaces serial ports, which means it lets you just sort of read the data as you need it. And you always have, it's a pull versus a push, you know, a flow of data. Um, and then there's ECMA streams, which is the streams you get from your web browser. Uh, we don't have a package for that yet, but... Um, I imagine we will. <laughs> and so they all lived in the stream package, and I couldn't do different things with it unless I split them up. And I actually found out that in this last month or two, there's a, like, like a good 20% of, of usage is just people using the low-level interfaces and not using the streams interface. And I, uh, I, it blows me away because, like, they found it simpler to use, to not use the streams to do what they wanted to do. And, I mean, hey, good for them. You know, I would love, uh, the API is okay. You know, there, there's, there's a few edge cases that, like, we went with promises and things like that. Like, you can't cancel a promise, you know. Um, <laughs> but so it is, you know, and it, uh, it works rather, it works rather well. I'm really, I'm really pleased with what came out of that split. It's made a few things harder, but, but, uh, but I'm pleased, I'm pleased with what we got. One of the things that you mentioned there, uh, was web serial. 
Um, yeah. And if we did a new segment on our podcast, we would definitely be talking about web serial um, because it's, it enables you to connect to serial devices from the browser. How does serial port fit into that layer? My understanding, they do kind of the same thing. But serial port adds something on top of that? What I would, the future I'd like to see is where serial, node serial port doesn't exist. And it's just the serial port spec. The serial port spec, however, has one implementation. Um, somebody, uh, a wonderful person named Riley has been, uh, has been working on it in sort of his free time at work. And it's living in Chrome Canary on Windows only right now. And you can enable it and has similar permissioning to uh, web USB. And it lets you have access to the system serial ports. And um, it is a sort of a beta implementation of it. It works differently in many different ways. It uses ECMAScreams streams instead of, uh, instead of our bindings interface. Um, the, uh, there's no... Uh, it's a different structure. I think it's a good structure. I, I'm not a big fan of ECMA streams. I think they're very complex, and the amount of uh, bending over backwards to so to make them work well, you know, and with the serial port is kind of interesting. But however, this ends up landing, and I really hope we can get something a little more simple, closer to the bindings interface. But I'm actually slowly uh, changing the bindings interface to take a lot of the web serial stuff. But the, uh, I hope we meet in the middle, and then you could put the stream interface on top of web serial. You could put the async iterator interface on top of web serial. You could write an app that targets just web serial and have a web serial interface that you know, acts like uh, you know, in Node you know, that is on top of the bindings. It's sort of, it, it, like, never mind the amazing amount of apps that currently use Electron that don't want to. You know, um, I would say probably one of the largest consumers of Node Serial Port is Electron, but it's because people build a web app and they want to access the Serial Port from it, you know, and they're like, oh, I can't do this in Chrome. Oh, that's weird. You know, and it's like, you know, I can't do this in Firefox. That's weird. Uh, it would be really cool if they just could, you know. Um, and so right now they use Electron. The story to install Electron and build binary packages for Electron sucks so hard. And the API will help with that down the line. But the uh, but the having a spec that's just common, however exactly it fits into this ecosystem, it means that we can now have this common interface, and so all our code can work wherever wherever we need it, and it can be just sort of the same. And there's been a push to bring web standards, uh, JavaScript web standards, into Node.js, and that might be how Serial finally lands. You know, maybe they just pulled Node Serial port inside, you know, and then we're done. Okay. <laughs> That would be exciting. So NAPI, you mentioned NAPI. And that's a, mm -hmm. a, a, a new interface uh, between Node and LibUV that kind of makes all the calls to LibUV common across the different versions of Node. Is that? Nope. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's actually not LibUV at all, oh. um, which is sort of weird. It's uh, just the V8 API. And so V8 uh, has... Is, is what has all the data types, like what's a string, what's a function, you know, how do you build an object. Uh, LibUV has a lot of how do you work with the operating system in, a, in a, an event-oriented kind of way. And so they've now promised that if you use the NAPI um, APIs, which is function calls, right, um, that if you build to them, that they will work across all versions of Node from this point on. And uh, so it's a subset of everything you can do. But the idea is it will keep them working, and you can just compile once for one version of Node and use it in future versions of Node. And it's something they've done in the C++ world for other plugin kind of you know, libraries and stuff forever. We just never had anything like it. And because uh, it requires a bit of work. And they did it, and it's awesome. But it's not LibUV, right? And I use LibUV a lot for serial port. And so I was like, oh, this is wonderful, but I can't use it. You know, it's like, it's not going to help anything. And it turns out, even though they don't promise, uh, even though there's no contract, LibUV is actually ABI stable. That, that's the term. ABI is the application binary interface. And so the APIs stay stable, but the ABI is when you have a compiled binary, and that goes to talk to another program, right? So this is a V8 running your library on the binary level. They're the interface on the binary level where the memory is and stuff. That is going to be stable going forward. So LibUV has promised 
that in most cases, and at least in the cases, and I've got, like, sign-off from the maintainers, in the cases that I use, they'll keep it AVI stable. (laughs) And so when LibUV2 finally lands one day, Node.js is just going to go to it. And it's going to break things. They're, they're very careful, and they, they, they make sure to test important things. They test serial port even on new, every new release of Node. But like, it, it's, a, it's a big change, and it's one they're not promising never to make. And I, I don't blame them. They, you know, like there could be more. You know, they should take advantage of the latest. But making these things, you know, managing how many builds and what builds we do like without clear guidelines, I guess, gets kind of tricky. Yeah, so hopefully if we could get to a full N API solution, even using the libuv we do use, we could just build once and we'll just keep working on new versions uh, of Node. And we'd only need to make one, you know, binary, three, three, one for each platform, one binary per, per platform, and that would be it. Okay. Well, we're talking uh, about lots of cool things that aren't quite ready for prime time yet. So let's talk about one more. Um, <laughs> okay. WebAssembly. How will that play in the hardware world and the serial port world? Or does it have a role? So WebAssembly is pretty awesome. Um, it is a like a compile target, I guess, for for other languages, you know, um, that are safe to run everywhere. And so the idea is, um, and they run the same everywhere. So I can make a WebAssembly build that would work on all platforms. Now, things that have not been solved in the WebAssembly world is like permissions for hardware access. <laughs> but pretty soon, you can, in Node, have a, have a WASM, they call it, a, a chunk of WASM code that can uh, not talk to anything outside of itself, you know, sort of data in, data out, you know, so it's isolated. But you can have this and just run it in Node as if it was a JavaScript file. I think you can just require it, maybe get its functions. And you can already do this in browsers. And so um, it's not very good at, you know, the, the boundaries between JavaScript and WASM aren't, um, there are ways, they're not always super fast, they're getting faster all the time. And then the, ba- the boundaries between WASM and the operating system are just not there at all. They're coming with some new standards. There's basically like, like standard libraries people are making. One is called uh, WASI time from the Mozilla folks. And I think there's another one, and I don't remember it off the top of my head. But the idea is they will have the file access, they will have the serial port access, the hardware access. And um, I'm hoping one day we could just ship a WebAssembly binary, for lack of a better term. Um, and it could just run everywhere and just request access and, you know, uh, to, the, to the hardware it needs and, it should, and, and should, in theory, just work. Rust is a big target to that. So that's why I've been playing with Rust lately. I've been trying to learn how to do it better. They have a serial port project, which is um, sort of mimicked after the TCL serial port projects. They're nice. They, uh, they don't, they, they shell out, they're, they're basically exposing whatever the operating system has. They don't do too much else, you know. So it's, so it's like, I could, could that compile to WASM? Not yet. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it's interesting to see one day, hopefully our project could be, could be obsolete. Yeah, it's kind of weird that, that that's a goal, right? That that no one needs your project anymore is 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 Nirvana. <laughs> it would be. It'd be amazing. I go learn how USB works. <laughs> so, um, how big of a deal is documentation for serial port? Because you know, one thing I, I think a lot of our listeners will assume is that serial port they never have to deal with it because there's layers between. Um, there, there's Formata between uh, them and Serial Port, but a lot of people in the world um, use Serial Port directly to control things. So there needs to be good docs, and imagine the docs need to support lots of different languages and, and fun challenges like that, because I know a lot of your, your downloads do not come from North America. Um, it's hard to figure out who exactly is using Serial Port, um, just by the nature of NPM and GitHub, but I've gotten some data out of them. And I know we have significant number of Chinese users. Um, we have a bunch of people from Brazil. I've gotten uh, issues open from, uh, from all over Africa, from all over the Philippines. Um, I've, seen, I've seen people open and close issues and help each other and solve them in languages I didn't know, um, <laughs> like more, uh, more times than I can count. So... It, you know, having docs that support them all is definitely a goal. Uh, 
biggest consumers I can tell would be Chinese and Portuguese. Uh, you know, if we had docs in those two languages, it would be fantastic. Um, so I tried, actually. So I, we went from ha- just being in a readme file in the repo uh, to having a website, serialport.io. And we were able to move everything that was in the repo, give it a good structure, make it easier to you know, find stuff. These went to split to a mono repo, kind of spread the docs out a little bit more than I like, but there were still some guides to walk you through it. Installation being a big, a big issue with the binary packages, we, had some, we still have strong guides there. I brought in translation services. There's a project called Docasaurus, which we use to generate the docs, um, and, they, and they integrate with some translation services. Short of paying people directly, which I, I wasn't prepared to do, I, I was not able to actually get anyone to come in and translate it. People had translated it and put it on their own site, and, but they you know, solved their needs, solved their problem, and our language barrier was kind of tough. So I'm very open to bringing back translations, but I actually took them out because they weren't there. You know, that was just sort of an extra waste of space. You know, but doing, you know, doing that in the future is definitely on my list. And, you know, we're, we're making sure we have better guides and stories. And, like, honestly, talking about Electron more turns out most of my users are using Electron these days. Um, maybe at least the users who are complaining. <laughs> <laughs> this is like this is one of those hard things to figure out. More and more every day, though. Um, I haven't done a download count stats in a while. I, I basically have to write a script every time to, to go pull GitHub's API. But Electron lets you build point-of-sale systems, lets you build um, kiosks. It lets you build all, all sorts of like interactive products. And, you know, our... Our support for them is pretty low. NAPI is sort of like the, like, oh, then we won't have any problems. But better docs in the meantime, I think, is the way to go. I heard you've got a project you're working on, a, a latest Skunkworks thing. Can you tell us about it? It's, it's really silly. Um, so you might have heard of, of mice, computer mice. <laughs> a long time ago, a company called Microsoft released a two-button computer mouse. It was a nine-pin serial mouse, and it had this protocol I spoke. It was a weird kind of like a seven-bit byte protocol. Which, you know, if you're familiar with Formata, it might sound kind of familiar. I hate those um, things. I found out that it, old shift register-based like devices, like you could read serial without really reading serial, and you needed that like that first bit to like work the shift register or something. And, and I, I don't fully understand it, but whatever. Standards, apparently that wasn't even a thing by the time the mice came around, but standards get baked in and then they're baked in. And so I found this 20-year-old document describing the protocols. And there was this the two-button serial mouse protocol. Logitech came and made a three-button variant where they added like two more bytes. And then mouse systems, which was formerly Rodent Associates, um, the creator of the laser mouse uh, ran ran that company. He had a new like normal sane eight bit byte you know protocol that like super usurped everything else later. But this was like um, so I got the whole history of how mice work. I went I was in Seattle and I went and found this company called RePC where they do computer salvage, and they had a bin full of old serial mice. And I actually found a couple mice, bought them for like a dollar. Took them home, got a USB-C to 9-pin serial cable, which was like 25 bucks, and made a mouse driver to make the serial mouse work, right? It was like, like it reads the data. I had the wrong baud rate. The data didn't make sense. I had the wrong protocol version because I didn't really know what the mouse spoke, you know? And, and, and like I finally got a two-button Microsoft mouse with a ball working and clicking around on a modern computer and it should work cross-platform and like like this has been so much fun (laughs) very cool maybe we'll have a a retro mice wave to go along with our retro keyboard craze right now (laughs) that would be uh that would be a bad idea (laughs) but maybe i'll make it happen i'll make it happen npx mouse parser you know (laughs) But at least it's an example of how serial devices work, of how you can write a parser. Um, I made a async iterator parser, you know, and like, like I just want to like show examples. Of how do you work with binary data? How do you make it, you know, work for you? And uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, I didn't do it for anyone else, but it's totally out there. 
with the issues that get open and the questions that get asked, I mean, what would you say are some of the cooler projects or, or more surprising projects, let's put it that way, that people have, have taken on with Serial Port? You might remember a couple of years ago, China captured an underwater drone off the coast of China um, and claimed it was a spy drone from the United States. Well, I talked to the scientist whose drone it was. Uh, they actually used Node Serial Port to um, relay sensor data from the drone back up to the ship using basically just a wire um, and a pretty low baud rate because it's a really long wire. It was for scientific research, you know. Um, I think it's something to do with temperature and currents or something. But th- that ran Node Serial Port. You know, it was used in, in operating that drone that was captured. Uh, you know, that caused this international incident. <laughs> well, congratulations. So that's, probably the, that's probably the coolest, like, the coolest story I've gotten. Hmm. Um, I have learned that Node Serial Port has been used to manage forklifts, um, is used in, like, rugby sensor gear to see how much damage the players are really getting during practices. Um, it's been used in uh, plenty of home automation it's been used, I mean, all of NodeBots, right? You know, and if you're using an Arduino and Johnny 5, you're using Node Serial Port. Uh, ATMs, that one was kind of scary to learn. I was like, <laughs> oh, shit. Like, <laughs> like I should, uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, ATMs, vending machines, uh, you, you name it, somebody has built it. I know tons of point-of-sale machines. I think people use it just to talk to uh, barcode scanners and change drawers and things like that. Um, though a lot of those have USB interfaces, so I don't, I don't know for sure, you know. There is actually a page of use cases on uh, Node Zero Ports Wiki. You should totally link to that. Okay. It's just kind of, it's super inspiring to see what people do with it. And I'm always looking for more, more stories. Well, one thing that, I mean, it's really cool hearing about all that, but it, I got I to gotta tell you, it, it upsets me a little. And, and, and here's why. why. Well, there have been times in the not- too distant past, where I see that you have just looking at pull requests and closed issues and stuff like that, because I'm I follow what's going on with Serial Port. I see that you've like stayed up all night making Serial Port better for people, and now knowing that people are using it in point of sale systems, underwater drones, all these things that I assume someone's getting paid for, you're doing this out of the goodness of your heart. And for fun, I guess, for the experience and the learning opportunity. But I kind of like to see <laughs> see some of that money come and support Serial Port. Just before you took over, and Chris had gone on to other things, there was a period of time where I feared for the future of Serial Port. So you, you kind of stepped up and saved it, it, it felt like. you know, Because there, there was a period of time where the, there wasn't thank a lot you. of maintenance going on. So yes, thank you. No, thank you for, for, for saving that for everyone. But... If you hadn't been there, I mean, I don't know what would have happened. So it bothers me that there's not more opportunities for you to benefit from that financially. Financially would be nice. You know, just at least get more contributors and more people who, who, who want to help you with it. One of the things that, that I, I, I think maybe might be stopping more people from contributing is that there's so much involved. There's so many different things that you need to know a lot about in order to contribute to Serial Port. Um, you know, C++ and Serial itself and JavaScript, of course. Um, it's, it's kind of daunting. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, it concerns me, too. I, I, it's sort of a larger open source question as well as, like, like what's, what does sustainability in open source look like? And there are plenty of people who do so much more than I do uh, who can't figure, haven't figured out how to make a living with it. And... Um, you know, so so whenever I th- whenever I put a lot of thought into this, I'm like, oh, I, I'm not devoting my whole all my professional work towards it, but I, I don't think that's a fair uh, comparison. You know, I think anyone who you know tries to maintain a project should be able to get paid for it, and, and sort of the old model has been consulting, um, which you know I. I'll be perfectly honest. I don't want to be a serial port consultant. You know, that, that's they're, they're, like like I can't imagine what that work would be. Um, maybe it's just it's more of the support issues, but yeah, you'd have to learn Chinese and Portuguese. Exactly, exactly. But I, I do know, you know, you know, like uh, people with email addresses from major processor companies are like, like reporting bugs on serial port, you know, and asking when they'll get fixed. And I was like, well, you know, why don't you help? You know, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it, it's a weird feeling, 
so I did do one thing. I moved to an open collective. Um, and the idea was I don't want to own serial port. I also don't own that much serial hardware. And I felt having some like common use cases, like let's make a point of sale machine, you know, some, some user studies was in order, but like hardware is expensive, you know, and we were also paying for the continuous integration servers and stuff. And so, so I started the Open Collective. I haven't really advertised it yet. It's opencollective.com slash serialport. And um, it's at the very least a communication medium where I, can, where I can say what the plans are, where I want to bring the project, you know, what other stuff are we doing? And that itself is work as well. But I hope that sort of, you know, since it's now in, in non-for-profit, you know, that like people can like, give money and know that it's not just going to my pocket. You know, I don't, I don't really need people's money, but, but the, having people support the project uh, would sort of be, would reduce my burden. Yeah. People could contribute at opencollective.com slash serial port. That money could go towards documentation, testing on different devices. So you can, it can still help out. Even if you're not paying the maintainer, it can at least help further the cause. Yeah. I would love to hire someone better versed in C++ than me to sort of give us an overhaul, a makeover, so to speak. Modernize areas, sort of uh, clean up some rusty areas. Like I, I have, I have some ideas of where we might not be, you know, like where there might be some issues. But it's really difficult for me to sort of dive into it. Also, you know, we've had it. We had an intern one year. I would love to pay people to work on it to to solve problems to sort of see, you know, if you find someone who's smart and motivated, you just let them do what they're, you know, whatever they feel is best and they'll, they'll do something good for the project. Now our surface area is large enough that, like, there's many things that can change. One of the things, yeah, one of the hard things about Lerna is it's hard to do a change to everything because it's all in one place, you know, but if somebody's getting paid, maybe they can make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know, I, maybe we that might be an onus to leave Lerna again, so we can have incompatible releases. You know, so if you npm install serial port, that will always work. But if you get the latest binding, like maybe that won't work with the latest serial port, and maybe that's okay. It's hard to do that with Lerna. With Lerna, you want to keep everything working at all times. But as more people start using sort of the lower underpinnings, I don't know if that's necessary. You know. Um, that, that's sort of here nor there. That's sort of maybe a barrier to contribution, but it, it is definitely nice to, um, you know, to start to have a place where companies could put their money at the very least, get that tax write off and know that it's going towards the sustainability of this project. This, this maybe will work for us. It certainly won't work for every project in the community, you know, <laughs> so this is, this is such, you definitely hit on a much larger topic. <laughs> Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for being on our show. Uh, this was this was awesome. I learned a lot on this podcast. So so thank you again. Thank you for Serial Port. You're a great person in this community, Francis. Oh, thank you. Uh, it's my pleasure. I'm glad. I'm I'm really happy you had me too. This was uh, a lot of fun. <laughs>